Heavenly Father, thanks so much that you speak to us through your word. We pray now that as we uh, read it together, that we might uh, see what Paul sees, uh, that we might be able to say what Paul says, and that we might be able to live how Paul lives, with you as our number one priority. And Lord, we pray all of this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> uh, now, I want to begin by asking you, what would it look like for you to be winning at life? How, how, would, how would winning at life, what would that look like for you? How would you know if you're winning at life? You've probably, if you've been on social media, you probably know the hashtag, hashtag winning at life. It's that thing that you add on your photo uh, to let the world know, look how well I am doing at life right now. And so you see uh, things like this. You see uh, this lady, she finally got her children's book published, hashtag winning at life. Uh, the next one, a, a, a mom has finally got her teenager to cook dinner, hashtag winning at life. These people have nailed stand-up paddleboarding, hashtag winning at life, which I think is personally very impressive because I tried it once and the stupid thing just folded in half and I've never seen Adele laugh. <laughs> She's laughing now, <laughs> look at her. I've never seen Adele laugh so hard in the whole time we've been together. I reckon next time I try, I'm gonna sell tickets. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be that good. Um, the next lady, she found a lettuce for $3, which apparently these days is winning at life. Uh, but in an extensive survey of the internet this week, it seemed that free donuts, that is the real sign that you are winning at life. Uh, free donuts everywhere. Everyone loves to post about a free donut with the hashtag winning at life. Uh, now, donuts aside, we probably have a fair idea of what it might mean for us to win at life, don't we? It's to live a life of purpose and meaning. It's to live a life of comfort and pleasure. It's to live a life of, of joy and happiness. It's to live a life full of uh, fulfilling relationships, right? That's what it is to win at life. Well, if that's what we think winning at life is, well, well God's Word is going to strike us quite hard today. We need to listen to God's Word today. And if we're really listening to God's Word, we really want it to reshape us. Because God's Word this morning is going to completely re redefine for us what it means to win at life. See, in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul, well, he turns winning, on, winning at life completely on its head. Uh, as he writes to the Christians in Philippi, he, he, he lays out a whole new idea about actually what life is really all about what we should be aiming for, what is it about life, what things in life are actually going to give us real and lasting joy. Now, the, f the most surprising thing to begin with is, is the place that Paul is writing from, his situation. Now, have a look there in verse 12. Uh, verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone, and here's his situation, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, and we'll hold it there, you see, Paul the Apostle, he has been rejected. He is behind bars. He is literally in chains. It's not exactly what you expect to see kind of posted with hashtag winning at life. You see, Paul is in chains here. He's actually, uh, to be in chains uh, in, in the first century Roman world, it's actually to be on remand. He's awaiting his trial. Uh, back in the first century, uh, people weren't sentenced to prison. Uh, jail was where you were held while you waited for your time in court. Uh, and once you went to court, there were only three verdicts that could be handed down by the judge. There was freedom, there was slavery, and there was death. 
that was it. There was no kind of the judge saying, I sentence you to five years in prison. It was just freedom, slavery, or death. And that's what awaits Paul as he, as he sits there waiting for his day in court. But for now, in this moment, Paul is in chains. He's been locked up. But Paul's chains here, they're not the only issue. Uh, there are people who are trying to kick him while he is down. There are people out there who are trying to usurp and take over his leadership. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. And now down verse 17, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. There are some that are looking at Paul in prison and they are seeing an opportunity. They, they, they see Paul in prison, they see that his position is vacant uh, and they can move up in the world. They can gain status and influence in the church that Paul has built. Uh, and they're trying to take it. And as they try and take it, they're actually making life more difficult for Paul as they do it. The final thing we see about Paul's situation here is there in verse 20. In verse 20, Paul is not far from death. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, as always with Christ, will be exalted, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether by life or by death. Now, Paul is not putting this on here. Paul really is at the end of his life. And he is praying that when death comes, that he will be courageous enough in that moment to keep following Jesus. You see, time in a Roman prison, it was no picnic. The charges that were against Paul were no slap on the wrist. Paul has been running around the Roman Empire and he's been declaring one thing to anyone that will listen. He's been saying that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the Lord and ruler over everyone. But the problem is that as far as the Romans were concerned, that position was already taken. Caesar was the one who sat on the throne. In Acts chapter 17, and the words will come up on the screen, uh, you can see the hot water that Paul was getting himself into. In Acts 17, one of Paul's friends was dragged uh, before uh, the, the local authorities, and this was the accusation made against Paul. It said, These men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. They are defying, defying Caesar's decree, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. Now, anyone who pushed for another king, another king other than Caesar, well, that kind of treason usually ended in death. And so can you imagine Paul's situation? Chains, usurped, facing almost certain death. Can you imagine seeing it on his Instagram? Can you? Still hanging in jail, just heard I've lost the job at the church I built from scratch to a bunch of people who I thought were my friends. Not long now until my trial, after which I'll probably be executed. Hashtag winning at life. Now, where are, the, where are the life goals achieved? Where's the humble brag about kind of the great body or the fulfilling job or the perfect relationship? Where are the free donuts, Paul? There's none of that. Nor any other metric that we would have for winning at life, is there? Yet for Paul, despite all that is going on, the way that he sees it, he is convinced that right there and right then, he is totally nailing what life is all about. See it there in verse 18. Paul twice says that in his current situation, he's rejoicing 
Verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, says Paul. Now, he's not being ironic. He's not being stoic. Paul is not being naive or failing to kind of grasp the seriousness of his situation. Paul's not trusting in the power of positive thinking or kind of fake it till you make it. No, Paul, in all seriousness, he's saying that in his current situation, in his chains, unemployed, facing execution, in his current situation, in his current circumstances, he is saying he cannot lose. He cannot lose. And so he rejoices. Paul is genuinely convinced that he is right where God wants him to be. Now, that's a challenge if you think that life, uh, that when life is going swimmingly, that that's where God wants you to be. Paul, in chains in prison, is convinced he is right where God wants him to be. And he is genuinely filled with joy. He genuinely thinks he is winning at life. He's convinced he's actually winning even beyond life. Have a look there in verse 21. Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, for Paul, even getting executed, even dying, that is a gain. That is a win in his books. Now, to get to this place, Paul is clearly operating with a really different definition to the good life to us, isn't he? It's not a life of control or comfort. It's not a life of health or wealth. It's not even a life of peace and quiet. There is something going on for Paul, something so fundamentally altered to his values, a a, a total revolution in his take on reality, a completely different expectation of the future. He has such different priorities and vision that he can be in this situation and still have joy. That he can be in this situation and still consider himself a winner. They're thinking that kind of whichever way things go, he's going to come out at the end of this and it'll all be worth it. So much so, he writes to his friends here in Philippi, his friends in the church in Philippi, and he says, hey, don't worry about me, guys. I'm actually rejoicing. So what is going on for Paul? What has he grasped that we haven't? What can Paul see that we struggle to see? Well, Paul's attitude actually springs from the thing that his life is all about. It springs from, his, from the thing that his life is all about. So what is Paul's life all about? What are his priorities, his focus, his vision? Well, Paul's life is actually really simple. His whole aim in life, it boils down to one thing. It's to live for Jesus. That's his priority, to live for Jesus. Jesus and Jesus' kingdom, they are all that matters to him. That's his priority over everything else. And if Paul is living for Jesus, and if Jesus' kingdom is expanding and advancing, then Paul is winning at life. If that is happening, then nothing can touch Paul. Nothing can dent his joy. Now, we see it there at the beginning of this section, don't we, in verse 12. Paul says, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, that is the things that are terrible happening in Paul's life, what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. 
the chains, his reputation being trashed, his imminent death, it's all helped to spread the good news about Jesus. And for Paul, that is a win. Look at verse 13. As a result, that is of my chains, says Paul. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You see, being in prison means that Paul is able to reach more people. He's able to reach people he would never have had contact with. Those guarding him, those in the wider palace, they all know that Paul is there for Jesus. And as a result, they are coming under the sound of the gospel. And for Paul, that's a win. And so verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Another win. It's almost counterintuitive, isn't it? Because of Paul's imprisonment and because of how Paul is handling it, other brothers and sisters grow in confidence. You know, in some level, you feel like if the leader was kind of locked up and, and, and being treated really badly, then, then, then the followers would shrink back. They would, they would be more hesitant. But no, they are declaring Jesus with even greater boldness. It's like they're watching Paul and they see the worst, their worst fears happening to Paul. They see that he's in chains. They see that he's rejected. They see that he's facing death. And they see it, but they see that he's still rejoicing. And they see that the hope that he has in Christ is actually real. It actually does make a difference. And they see it and they go, it's actually not as bad as we feared. They see that even when the worst happens, life with Jesus goes on. They see that even worse, when the worst happens, you can still rejoice. And so they watch Paul and they watch on and they're sharing Jesus with even more confidence. And more and more people are proclaiming Jesus with even greater boldness because of Paul's chains, not in spite of them. You see, Paul's life is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and his kingdom. He values Jesus even more than his own freedom and his comfort. The gospel going out is more important to Paul than his own safety and security. Jesus and his kingdom are all that matters. And for the Apostle Paul, everything else is secondary. Paul's actually so focused on Jesus, so committed to Jesus' kingdom, he's, even not, going to, he's not going to stand in judgment of other people's motivations. I think we find this section a little bit surprising. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. And this is motivated, verse 17, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Paul says, yes, some are preaching Christ for impure motives. Yes, some are preaching Christ in a way that's going to make my life more difficult. But verse 18, Paul says, so what? He is so focused on Christ and his kingdom that he is not concerned. Verse 18, verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. Nothing can touch Paul. If the news of Jesus is going out, regardless of what it costs him personally, that's a win in his books. If the news of Jesus is going out, he's not concerned about people's motives. He's just concerned that people come to hear the great salvation that is there in Jesus. I think this is a real challenge for us here in particular, uh, particularly if we're the sort of person who is tempted to look sideways 
at the person next to us and, and, and look sideways at the person next to us and wonder about their or question their motives? Are they just doing it to be noticed, to be seen? Are, are, they, are they saying yes to this opportunity just to kind of impress the person who's asked them to curry favour with the pastor? Are they serving because they just have this deep need to be needed? Then, you know, they're serving for their own self-esteem. Or sometimes even we're tempted to look sideways at other churches or other ministries and we want to question their motivations. Are they just too focused on building their own church? Are they doing things in a flashier way than we'd feel comfortable to? Are they holding their leaders higher than we would feel comfortable, than we think is appropriate? That's quite relevant for us in Wellington at the moment. Maybe we're tempted to look on at what's happening in other churches in our city with a level of uh, kind of schadenfreude, with a, with, with a level of pleasure or satisfaction at their misfortune. Well, not Paul. On one level, Paul says he simply doesn't care. What does it matter, he says? The important thing is that Christ is preached. And because of that, and if that is happening, then he considers that a win. Now, I don't think Paul is issuing a blank check here. I don't think he's saying that uh, everyone and everywhere, every church everywhere can just do as they please. I don't think Paul is saying that he's kind of fine with kind of questionable motives or destructive methods. He's not saying that the end always justifies the means. Uh, you just have to read the rest of the New Testament to see that Paul has plenty to say about getting, getting those other things right. But the key idea here is that Christ is preached. Not some other gospel, not some other saviour, not some other word from God, just simply that the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, his death and resurrection that brings eternal life through the forgiveness of sins, if that is what is being preached, even if we don't know the motives, then that is a win for Paul as the gospel goes out. Because as we saw, Paul's whole life, his whole aim in life is to live for Jesus. His goal in life, which he strives, is that more and more people might come to know Jesus and enter his eternal kingdom. That is all that matters. And Paul here, he's not a glutton for punishment. He's no um, kind of hopeless optimist, just living in denial of his situation. His suffering, his pain, it is real. It really hurts. But there is something that is bigger than his chains. Something that is bigger than suffering. There is something that is bigger than his own life, and that is Jesus. Which is why he can say, as we, as we read there in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul is saying that if, if my suffering happens to uh, further the cause of the gospel of Jesus, spreading the good news of Jesus further, then nothing else matters. As far as he's concerned, he's winning at life. And Paul says that if my suffering leads to my death and I depart this world and go and be with Christ in his new creation, as far as he's concerned, that's a win too. It's pretty clear here that Paul is willing to give a lot, isn't he? He's willing to give a heck of a lot to achieve his goal of living for Jesus 
and seeing Jesus' kingdom advance. And you know, when your heart is really set on one thing, when you have a clear and single focus, when you value something higher than anything and anyone else in your life, you can make incredible sacrifices. You can, you can endure great difficulty to get what it is that you really desire. Uh, I recently uh, watched a documentary about the Australian cricketer Shane Warne. Uh, it was actually, it was quite fascinating. It was made before he died. Uh, but the thing that, watched, uh, that really struck me as I watched this uh, documentary about Warney uh, was his relationship with his family. Uh, for a time there, Warney was married and he had three kids. But in the pursuit to be the best cricketer in the world, he made significant sacrifices. And I was really struck by how candidly he spoke about them, how upfront he was about the sacrifices that he made. Now, here's what he said in the documentary. He said, being away for nine months on the road, rightly or wrongly, cricket was always my number one priority. That doesn't mean I didn't value my family, but they were second. He added, I can't shy away that I put my family second to try and be the best I possibly could for Australia and the best player I could. To be as good as I was, I had to be selfish at times. And most of the time, I was. Uh, things went so far for Warney in kind of putting that dream of being the greatest cricketer of all time first. Things went so far that he missed the birth of his, of his first daughter while playing cricket in England. But do you think the thing that was really remarkable was that he said if he had his time again, he'd do it all the same. He had no regrets. Now, I'm not recommending Warney's approach to family harmony or marital bliss. I can see the, the eyebrows of many wives and mothers in this room kind of uh, touching the ceiling. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, he was willing to sacrifice so much because he was totally sold out on his goal. He was completely convinced that that was what his life was about, about being the best spin bowler in the world. Now, I, I loved watching Warney bowl, but who cares, really? Who cares? And even if Warney had put his family first, being a great husband and being a great dad, that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, even more important is this vision of reality that the Apostle Paul has. His heart is set on Jesus and his kingdom, and that trumps everything else. For Paul, nothing else matters. Paul's suffering is real. The chains aren't just metaphorical. They are real chains. His death that is coming, it is not just an imaginary thing. He's not just, it's not just hyperbole. He really will be killed for serving Jesus. But none of that can touch him deep in his heart. As long as he's serving Jesus, as long as he sees the gospel moving out, Paul is winning at life. And nothing else matters. Now, for Shane Warne, cricket was the one thing that defined what it meant to be winning at life. Uh, we might not uh, you know, be the greatest spin bowler of all time, but we'll have our own ideas of what it means to win at life. But I need to say, whatever that thing is, 
whether it be a relationship, whether it be your family, whether it be good health, whether it be uh, whatever image you have of the good life, whatever you think winning at life is, if that thing is anything or anyone other than Jesus, I need to warn you, you're actually putting yourself in a very vulnerable position. You're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position. If that thing you need to win at life is anything other than Jesus and his kingdom, then the, pl- then the weight that you're placing on that thing or that person, the expectation you're putting on them is something that they were never made to bear. If you set your heart on a relationship, well, relationships, we know they break down. If you set your heart on, a, on, a, on, a, on your family, well, family won't be around forever. And really, to have all your hope and all your identity and all your security bound up in another person or another thing, well, it's an incredibly difficult and really, frankly, an unfair position to put them in. Only one person can carry such a load. Only one person can carry you to the end, and that that person is Jesus. Only one project, only one mission, only one venture can sustain you for all of your life and even beyond. And that is the kingdom of Jesus. Everyone and everything else that we set set our hearts on will fail us in the end. And Paul knows this. That is why he has put his lot completely in with Jesus. That is why he's made his life all about extending and expanding the kingdom of Jesus. And his focus on Jesus isn't just big enough to sustain him through these hard times. We see that uh, by putting Jesus first, Paul actually has a deep and lasting, unshakable joy. A joy no matter what happens. Verse 18 again, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and here it is, because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what is happening to me will turn out for my deliverance. We know Paul's situation, don't we? We know Paul's priority. His priority is Jesus. And now we see his joy, his deep, unshakable joy. Now, let's not mistake joy for happiness. Uh, happiness is great if you've got it. Uh, the Bible isn't down on you being happy. You know, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. That's all good. Uh, here we go. We've got one. Uh, but happiness is always dependent upon happenings. It's always dependent upon the moment. And sadly, we know that the moments just don't last. I had a lot of people in this room last night who were having a happy time doing the Kaylee, but the Kaylee ended, and we all had to go out home into the cold. Happiness just doesn't last. But joy, the sort of joy that Paul can have while he sits in prison, the sort of joy he can have when faced with the betrayal of his friends, the sort of joy that he can have in the face of death, real death, knocking at his door, well, that joy... It is a delightful confidence in God. It's a delightful confidence in God that God has done everything so that his future is bright and secure. That's what joy is. A delightful confidence in God that your future is secure.
And that's exactly what we see here in Paul, isn't it? Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going on to live in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. He is so confident that his future is bright and secure. He doesn't know whether to choose life or death. I'm torn between the two, says Paul. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Whatever happens, life or death, Paul has a delightful confidence in God. That in Christ, his future is bright and secure. And so he has this deep, unshakable joy. He knows deep down that if he, if he is in Jesus, if he is living for Jesus, if he is pursuing Jesus' kingdom, then he simply cannot lose. He'll be a winner every time. Now, you might not know this, but Wellington has an outdoor velodrome. Uh, does anyone know where it is? Yeah, there's two people who know where it is. It's, it's kind of like the other side of Mount Victoria, like the Hatai side of Mount Victoria. It's nice and hidden. It's really, it's really cool. Anyway, at the, at the, at the velodrome, they, they run all sorts of races, but the last race day of the season, they run one particular race. They only run it on that one day. And if you're watching this race and you didn't know any better, you'd watch these guys and you think, you guys have been racing all season. You guys are terrible bike riders. Uh, the reason is because is this race, there's this, this track filled with riders and they're kind of wobbling backwards and forwards, not really going anywhere. And those who cross the finish line first, well, they get eliminated from the race. Now, if you assumed a normal definition of winning, you'd think they're all losers. But if you know the truth, if you know that what they're doing is called a slow bike race, if you know that the definition of winning is to have enough balance and control that, that over the course of the time you travel the least distance without falling off, then you're really the winner. If you know that, then you'll know that the guy who is at the back, who's having his photo taken, is the one who is really winning. And in the same way, people will look at what Paul's life is Look at Paul's life. They'll look at what's going on. And people will look at Paul and say, he is losing at life. But Paul says, no, you need to understand what winning really looks like. So can I ask you, what does winning at life look like to you? How would you finish Paul's sentence? For me to live is... What comes next? For me to live is happiness. For me to live is comfort. For me to live is pleasure. For me to live is wealth. For me to live is not be lonely. For me to live is... Well, according to God's word this morning, if you finish that sentence with anything or anyone other than Jesus, you're not winning at life, no matter how many free donuts you get this week. But if you finish that sentence with Jesus, for me to live is Christ, then you're really winning at life. You're secure in eternal life. You'll have a deep joy in knowing that your, your future is bright and secure in Christ, no matter what. As Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we struggle so hard to keep Jesus at the center of our life. We're tempted to live for so many different things. But Lord, we pray that we might have Paul's priority to live for Jesus and his kingdom so that we might have joy, a deep joy knowing that our future is bright and secure and so that we might endure whatever you send, whatever comes our way, so that we might echo Paul's words, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.